Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 39 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, Second Technician, Fossil Forrester, and joining us in the Sidewinder tonight, we have Lave Station's Chief Bar Steward, Mr. Grant Walcott. Hello. Head of Health and Safety, Mr. Ben Mosswoodwood. Hey there, guys. And finally, after being stranded on a planet of sex-starved nymphomaniacs, our Chief of Operations, Mr. John Stabler, has returned home. Hello. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was me being depressed because I had to leave the planet of sex-starved... What was it? Nymphomaniacs, yeah. <laughs> but, no, I'm glad to be back. Excellent. Well, welcome, guys. And before we get started, I should say congratulations to Grant and the team for last week's show. I mean, it was a fantastic first solo outing, which means that Alan, Chris, John and myself are free to spend a bit more time on that planet that John's just been stranded on for the last few weeks. In this episode, we are mainly going to be focusing on Beta 3 uh, that was released last week. John, Grant, Ben and I are going to talk about our experiences so far, what we've liked and what things we still think require a bit of John Stabler's special turtle wax before the release of the final game. John is then going to team up with Alan and Colin for the newsletter review before rejoining us to go through some of your questions and comments. And as always, before we do any of that, let's find out what these folks have been up to inside and outside the Elite Universe. And because I desperately want to hear about this planet he's been stranded on, we'll start with you, Mr. Stabler. Yes, this planet is actually, in reality, called Turkey. That's where I went. A nice country with lovely people, but we didn't have very good weather because we went quite late in the season, so it wasn't brilliant. But, you know, it was nice to get away. I've been so busy with work lately that I really need a break, and I'm back now feeling reinvigorated. So suitably refreshed. Where yeah. else in Turkey did you go? The biggest town slash city was a place called Didim. Right. It was about an hour out of Bodrum, on the west coast, so on the Med. Nice. But the weather wasn't great. There was sun, and it was, you know, mostly dry. We just had, like, thunderstorms in the evening, but the temperature had dropped. You were looking at kind of 18 degrees. Right tops which obviously a lot better than sunny Wales at this time of year not sunbathing weather okay so since you've been back have you had a chance to download and play a bit of beta 3 I have yes I've been playing quite a bit of beta 3 because I've just been coming home and I've had to do something to kind of you sort of break myself from work and take my mind off it and luckily I've found some time to play beta 3 and it's been great okay well without going into any massive detail because obviously we're going to be talking about beta 3 as the main topic i want you to give me the thing in beta 3 that most excites you and the thing in beta 3 that either most disappoints you or you'd like to see changed altered or polished just what they are without going into detail all right thing that excites me is interdiction thing that needs polish i don't know i just think that there's obviously just a few kind of bugs here and there like networking still isn't it's, it's a hell of a lot better but not a hundred percent yeah, just a few niggling things. I don't think there's anything out there which I think needs an overhaul. So I'm genuinely really happy. Well, we'll go to Grant. Grant, what have you been up to? Well, I've just been trying to get this house move finalised and get the blooming keys. And oh, really? Get... You were supposed to get the keys last time. I was meant to get the keys last week. I was meant to get the keys early this week. And now it's Friday again. But, you know, it's all going. It's just, you know, that um, combined with hospital visits on a daily basis it's been a bit of a grind the house you're supposed to be moving into you have seen it yeah you, you've walked around it you know it exists yes it definitely does exist i mean it's, it's really really nice i mean whether or not i'm going to find out i bought one at a different address at the end of all this i don't know we'll find out soon but yes it's coming to an end but yes it's not been a particularly stress-free experience at all right and you mentioned hospitals our regular nan watch how is she 
She is doing okay. She requires a nice home, somewhere suitable that can give her the care she needs going forward, and uh, she seems to be quite excited to uh, get out of that hospital. Great stuff. Okay, well, the same thing as John. Your most favourite thing and the thing that you think requires a little bit more polish for V3. Right, well, I've not had much chance to get in and play. I mean, also, I was excited to see the sort of graphical updates in the Oculus and the improvements to the Galaxy map and things, and uh, I'll certainly let you guys know what it's like when I finally get in. It's not from technical issues, it's just purely from a lack of time. And one thing that I think is missing is the ability to sort of link drives and travel as a pack. Ah, uh, good point, I'm yeah. That's definitely something that. that we're going to talk about without a shadow of doubt. That's going to be something that comes up when we discuss Vita 3. Okay, Head of Health and Safety, Ben, what have you been up to? Well, since the past couple of weeks, I've actually done pretty much nothing down here. I've been stuck down in Birmingham working, so I've not done anything very exciting. I did go and see fairly recent Daniel Radcliffe film Horns, which was surprisingly good. Saw that over Halloween. And that's really about all I've done. Okay, so I'm assuming, therefore, you've had quite a lot of time to invest in Beta 3. I've have you? invested far too much time, probably, in Beta 3, yes. Okay, brilliant. So, the best and worst of it, then? Best of it, my favourite newest feature, it would be the interdictions. I think that's implemented so well, both trying to capture somebody and trying to escape from someone. Grant stole my thunder for the worst feature. Again, I'm really looking forward to fleeting and things like that. Is that officially what we're going to call this? I thought we formed fleets, but I don't know what they call I don't know. No, forming fleets is fine. It's the, it's the phrase fleeting. It's better than winging. <laughs> it's the we're just going to wing it. <laughs> like, that's, that's probably about right, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is for this show, though, without a shadow of a doubt. Well, so apart from that, we've got the route planner has been improved, so we can see jump from A to B to C. I'd like it so that if I had a route defined in my nav map for it to automatically select the next star system, that would be nice. Okay, so when I said just name it without going into any detail... This is me, Chris. <laughs> from my side of things, I have kept up the tradition of being completely miles away from my PC when a beta is launched. I was actually this time out of the country completely. I've been in Warsaw on a works meeting for most of last week and got back in front of my computer on Tuesday to download it. And as always with these things, not surprisingly, there'd been a number of iterations of Beta 3 being pushed out by Frontier in that time. So I was playing the Beta 3.03. It's nice. I mean, it's big. It's very big. I think my favorite thing has been mining. And the thing that I think requires a little bit more polish is still the networking. So we'll get onto that when we talk about Beta 3, which we might as well do now. Have you been missold PPI? Python Protection Insurance was missold if you didn't want it, ask for it, or need it. I was missold Python Protection Insurance and I got a claim worth 3,000 credits. At Carolyn McGrath, we are ready to pursue claims for pilots who were sold PPI, even though they didn't have an escape pod. When my partnership was destroyed, the insurance became invalid. I settled out of court for enough credits to restart my narcotics and weapons shipping business. Millions have been missold Python Protection Insurance they can never claim, simply because they don't have an escape pod. Why should you pay for not reading the small print? My husband was missold PPI. As a result of our claim, we now own Jupiter. Carolyn McGrath, turning your carelessness into profitable lawsuits.
Okay, so for the main topic of this show, we are going to be focusing in on Beta 3 and our experiences of it. So just a little rundown of what we've had included in Beta 3. It is now a 869,000 cubic light year space that we've got to occupy, containing 2,406 star systems, which sounds absolutely gigantic. It's about five times larger than what we had in Beta 2. Even though it is absolutely gargantuan, Frontier has said that it represents little over half a millionth of 1% of the full game when it's going to be launched later this year. Which, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that just seems like an absolutely ludicrous sort of size. I mean, we were talking about griefing and everything else. I think it really is genuinely going to be quite a surprise if we ever see any other players in this game. John, what do you reckon? Well, I think we will see other players because there's going to be things that put players in the same area. Most of the galaxy is going to be quite empty there's not going to be stations in every system there's going to be like a kind of core 100,000 systems I think they've said which will hopefully expand over time but I think yeah players will still be tripping over each other but I still think that there's enough scope that you can go and find somewhere and hide and, and do whatever you want to do whether it be mining or I don't know bounty hunting without fear of a hundred players all turning up at the same time and, and griefing you or whatever it is that people are afraid of. Yeah, but I mean, even then, you say 100,000 systems. I mean, one of the things that this game has proven to me since the first alphas is that I like the systems that I know. As they push out more and more space, I'm becoming more and more agoraphobic in the elite universe. I like the places that I know about. I'm finding it very difficult to sort of force myself to go even further out. Ben, I don't think you have that sort of problem, do you? No, I'm generally someone who just lets it all hang loose and go out there. I think that borders on oversharing slightly. I was more referring to the fact that I think, obviously, the space that we're working in at the moment is kind of like a pill, isn't it? Like a, like a tablet pill kind of shape. And you were saying that you're already halfway down that pill. Yeah, I've gone off in very much the same as you. I was just flying around the inner systems, playing around in the usual old worlds. And I decided that, OK, I'm going to go down the pill and try to find some profits. And I flew off to the extreme range that my ass could take me on one refueling stop. And then just set up base and started looking around there and found some nice little bits and bats. Got a nice little trade run and things. And I'm currently about, I think it's about 106 light years away from iBoosters at the moment. Cool. Has the new kind of efficiency path plotting feature of the Galaxy map been instrumental in you getting so far? It has, I guess, because I basically have gone off and selected somewhere that the extreme line takes me to. But then I've had to go off and write down every single bleeding place that I want, need to go to get there. And that kind of did my head in. Because they've all got stupid names like Sefi Sector IH-V space <laughs> B2-3. That memorable system. Yeah, they really do roll off the tongue. It's definitely something that we're going to probably hear a loss of. And we're already hearing it from the community about the fact that, yes, nice that Frontier had given us this sort of this mapping tool. But as you alluded to earlier, Ben, it would be even nicer if they could just sort of link them all together so that you could just jump and jump and jump and jump. Something like you to do in EVE Online. You set your routes and then you automatically line up and, and start jumping from there. Yeah, that would make life a lot easier. I don't know if they've done it deliberately to pander to the old school where you've got to write everything down and remember it, but <laughs> that's just being masochistic in my opinion. Yeah, let, let's hope not. Although, if that is the way they're going, I would love to see them implement a built-in notepad 
that you can write things down on and access at any point when you're playing. If they want to do the whole sort of writing things down, and I don't think it's a bad idea in terms of you know writing down that great trade route or writing down commodity prices. I think having a, an in-game uh, little notepad isn't a bad shout at all. So if that's the way they want to push us, then that's the sort of things they need to be implementing. Okay, talking about implementing, let's see what else we've got down on the Beta 3 roll call. We've got some new ships. We've got the Imperial Clipper and we've got the Federal uh, Dropship. Uh, anybody seen these in games yet? Yeah, I've seen a federal. I've seen plenty of Federal Dropships. In fact, I've been bounty hunting them because I, I remember watching the Beta 3 video and the Federal Dropship looked kind of menacing. Yep. And it looked like it was going to be something quite tricky to deal with. But I don't know whether it's because I, I found ones where they were not the greatest pilots ever, but I found it quite easy in a Viper to kind of stay on their six and, and just basically wear them down and, and take them out. Nice bounties, getting between 18 and 25k per one, which was kind of nice. The Imperial Clipper, I haven't seen many... And whenever I did see one and get into a skirmish, it kicked my ass. Really? Yeah. I don't know if they've kind of intentionally made them all really good, because we know that there are imperial leanings within Frontier. I won't mention any <laughs> names. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing to look at. I mean, whenever you see it, I think the first five seconds, you're just thinking, I want to be in one of them. I want to fly that ship. Anybody know off the top of their heads uh, how much you can expect to pay for these ships? A lot. And I mean a lot. I mean, I think after the ass, it's silly money. The Anacondas now, is it 76 million? I think so, yeah. Double that. I believe this is actually on the Elite Dangerous Wiki page. To get, ah, to get yeah. Let's promote the Elite Wiki. Because I set up the Elite Wiki, I think it was like at the end of the Kickstarter. I created it, and I basically it was just a way to have a running FAQ page, really. So we stole the FAQ off the Kickstarter and then as more details were posted by David or Michael in the chat, we kind of added to it. Now, lately, it's just got crazy. We've got, I think, over 100 people contributing to it. And every day I'm getting updates of all these pages being created and updated. There's a wealth of knowledge on there. And how do people so, get um, to it? Well, you just Google Elite Dangerous Wiki. It's the first res result. That's probably the best way to get to it, really. It's... Elite-dangerous.wikia.com Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Your source of all knowledge, Elite Dangerous. Now, tell me, how much does an Imperial Clipper and how much does a Federal Dropship cost? Okay, so a Federal Dropship will set you back 37 million credits. Uh, a Clipper will set you back 22 million Wow. So that's a bit cheaper than a Federal Dropship. And what about an Asp um, and an Anaconda? So an Asp is going to set you back 6.5 million. An Anaconda is now 147 million credits. Mm. I mean, I remember in like the first Alpha, was it? Was it Alpha when we first had Axe? Yeah. When you could get an Anaconda. And I think it was like, was it cheaper than the Type 9? Or was it a little bit more? Uh, it was, but it was like a million, wasn't it? It, it was yeah. ridiculously cheap. It was ridiculously cheap. There's been some, uh, some balancing being going on there, I think. Yeah, um, there's people complaining about it already. They seem to feel that they're just too expensive, that it would take too much effort, or grinding, as some people call it, to get to them. They just want to be able to jump in and, and get everything now, I guess. Yeah, and that's always been the worry, hasn't it, that people could do Frontier we're talking about in the very beginning, doing the microtransactions, and maybe they'll still go down the route of being able to pay for credits and 
I think we're going to get these rich boys flying in, putting down lots of money and then flying away in the most expensive kick-ass ships and giving those people that have been grinding or investing time in the game a hard time without any sort of skills or experience to back it up. So it is originally speculated and I've seen a lot of people flying around in some very large, impressive ships, but it's obvious to me that they've just been trading a lot because they can't fly them in combat for love nor money. So I don't think that having a big ship equals you're going to own everybody because it just doesn't work that way. Okay, well, maybe that's a topic we'll come back to in a few episodes' time. So, yes, new ships, and without wanting to steal the, the thunder from the guys who are doing the newsletter review a little bit later, but we also have multiple ship ownership. So has anybody else got a, a massive garage of ships already stored up? Or are we still all flying around in our single ships? I could go and get one, but I haven't. Okay, so we're still just flying the single ship. That's interesting. I just don't have the money. Sorry, go on, Grant. No, I was going to say, it's much the same. It's, you, you know, trying to make the money to get out a ship the best you can, and then think about the wee spare one. I mean, I'm on this mission to fully get out my sidewinder to see what I can do with it. And how, what have you got so far? Military hull. <laughs> <laughs> Military hull's expensive, though, isn't it? It is, it is. I'm trying to find power drives and things. That's the difficult thing in this, seemingly in this beta build, is to to find where things are. Relearn the location, the new locations of the good places to go and buy your kit. Um, So I'm in the process of trying to do that. I should use the Galaxy map, but I'm currently using the Oculus, and it's going to take me a bit of time to get used to it again. I think the problem has been that every time they've released the beta, it's kind of refreshed the galaxy and everything's moved about. So people who were perhaps trying to collate all the information about where you could go and buy stuff, as soon as the new beta comes out, all that information becomes redundant Mm -hmm. and you've got to go and start again. So I think in the final game, it wouldn't be so bad because people can use like a wiki or something to store all that information and people can go and get it. But at the same time, I was watching the Twitch stream last night and I think Adam Woods did say that enough people have made a noise about difficulty in finding equipment that they're going to have a look at it and see if they can perhaps improve things. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad shout. I mean, talking about what you alluded to there about the galaxy moving around, I, I fell foul of that as soon as I jumped into the game because I had a decent amount of cash stocked up and I knew exactly that the last time round. I think it was Chi Hercules 14 or Hercules 14 was the place to go. It was your equivalent of Walmart. It was brilliant. Everything was there. So I loaded up all my fuel and flew uh, my Sidewinder out and it was at the very, very end of my limit. I appeared in the system, went to try and find the space station and there's nothing there. Absolutely nothing there. But because I'd used all my fuel, I was stuck and ended up having to fly it straight in the sun and restarting. So I didn't quite figure that the galaxy was going to change quite as much as it has this time around. Just to everybody out there, all the hardcore space fans, I know that it's pronounced Kai, not Chi. Um, I, I don't know what Foz is on about. Oh, crikey. We've got a whole galaxy worth of mispronunciations that we can get stuck into now. But okay, so multiple ships, fuel scooping, which is what I wished I had when I arrived in that system. Uh, has anybody given it a go? It kind of looks cool from what I've seen other people doing it, but for me, I just always refuel. I I guess if I had a big ship where fuel was costing me a fortune, I might be tempted to do it. But at the moment, fuel's cheap enough as it is. Okay, Ben, if you've actually attempted it, maybe you can talk us through the actual setup. How how do you go about fuel scooping? What's the dynamic? Step one, you go and get yourself a fuel scoop and shove it in your internal slots. After that, you go around the edge of the sun 
As you get closer, you'll get an alert saying fuel scoop active, and there's your temperature and the rate of fuel that you're currently scooping coming in. And then you basically just skim around the edge of the sun and try to balance cooking yourself alive versus getting a decent rate of fuel. From what I've seen people doing it, they seem to kind of fly towards the sun and then they wait for a certain temperature and then they've got to bug out. Is, there, is it possible to find a sweet spot where you can just stay there? I and, was, uh, yes. Okay. As I started saying, I've got a fairly good fuel scoop. So I'm basically gobbling down my fuel very quickly as opposed to somebody who went off and got the worst fuel scoop possible. And it's basically like he's holding a cup out the side of his cockpit. It takes me about 10 seconds to fill up about half a tank. It's really quick. Did you say whether or not this is done in normal space or is it done in supercruise? This is all done in supercruise. So you stay in supercruise and you basically just fly around the edge of the sun. And my temperature hasn't gone above 100%, so you can go up to about 150 before you start baking. My fuel scoop was about the 300, 400 or 1,000 credit one. These modules are definitely, in terms of the, the different cost of them, they definitely have an impact, and they certainly have an impact in the next thing that we're going to talk about, and that's mining. Now, obviously, when it comes to mining, you need various bits of equipment, like the fuel scoop. You need a, a mining laser to start off with, and then you also need an extra piece of equipment, which is a refinery. The concept is that you go up to an asteroid, you fire your mining laser at it, and little chunks of rock fly off. You collect them in your cargo scoop, and then you assign the fragment into one of your refinery slots. And depending on how expensive your refinery equipment is, you might only have one, two, or three possibly five, I think, are the most expensive one slots that are available. So if you scoop a fragment of, is it Bernadite? Bertrandite. Bertrandite. If you scoop some of that and put it in your refinery, you might find that you get a certain amount of Bertrandite. You also might get a certain amount of gold or silver that goes into your secondary slots until you have 100% in your refinery of any of those elements, and that forms one cargo unit. So... What I have to say is this is the one that I've actually been trying out the most and it's nice and grindy about chiseling off little fragments of rock and building them up to make complete cargo canisters. Ben, I'm assuming you probably have done this. What about the rest of you guys? Has anybody else tried mining? Yeah, I tried it because I wanted to see if it was as bad as everybody was whinging about on the forums. <laughs> I think they must have tried to attempt to do it in a sidewinder or something because they said, oh, there's no money in it and oh, it's, it's, it's terrible, it's broken but to try it i had a hauler because i wanted to make sure that i you know i had a lot of cargo space so i went out and the first thing i realized is you've got to make sure that you've got one of the the more expensive refineries with the increased number of hoppers because otherwise you find yourself having to manually intervene and, and vent stuff out that you don't want whereas if you've got multiple hoppers then you're not doing that so often um, the second one, which my brother noticed, was that when you jump into one of these um, areas where there's some asteroids, go for the small ones, because the small ones seem to be palladium, mostly, whereas the larger ones, you get the Bertrandite and some of the other ones. So palladium is worth an absolute fortune. I think it's between like 11 and 14,000 credits per ton. <laughs> so, Sorry, that's just made my night. I thought Palladium was rubbish. I've been blasting it out. There's an entire asteroid of it. Palladium's worth more than gold. Oh, um, fuck. I, I literally so... was taking it all in and then venting it out thinking, well, that's not gold. That's not gold. That's not gold. I'm just going to go away and cry for a bit. You continue. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> 
so yeah so if you've got a four or even a five hopper system then you can quite happily sit out there just blasting scooping blasting scooping and no manual intervention the extra tip as well if you are the scrooge mcduck of miners is that you can fill up your cargo hold but then carry on scooping to fill up your hoppers because they'll get to 100% but they won't be able to process it because you've got no space. But of course, as soon as you sell your cargo in the space station, they will then refine it and it will become available. Good tip. Like it. Excellent. Who knew? Palladium. Worth something. Great. Okay, anybody else on mining? Ben? Yeah, I think you guys have covered most of it, but if you're looking around and you want to try and optimize your mining time, have a look at the resource areas, and if you can fi- find a pristine one, then you you can maybe f- get a ton of stuff in under five scoops. Okay, um, what exactly is a pristine resource area? How would people recognize one? On your system map, if you click on the asteroid belt or something like that, it'll tell you the quality of it. Ah, I did not know that. No, I didn't know that. I'm sure I saw some things that said that, so I I think I'm right. Right, cool. Okay, well, uh, I think we should just leave mining there whilst I cry into my uh, labium brandy about palladium and move on to philanthropy missions. Anybody else giving these a go? I know I haven't. No. Because they don't pay anything. Well, that's the idea of philanthropy, isn't it? You're doing it for the greater good, surely. Yeah, but the greater good don't pay me. So why would I do that? <laughs> uh, yes, you're a, pro- you're a true capitalist, was it? Well, I suppose we should also talk about the fact that the philanthropy missions obviously link into your reputation, and that's the other thing that the Beta 3 is bringing us, and the fact that we actually now have reputations that we can build up through trading, through shooting, and various other different missions. I haven't had a look into this, but I'm guessing Ben's new who spent the most amount of time in-game. You probably have. Yeah, the Nichtenhall vision station loves me because of the amount of trading I've done. I just basically spent about three days solidly just going back and forth and then I suddenly noticed that the ships have all gone green and I found out that apparently they're unfriendly towards them, purely through trade. Interesting. Did you see any other benefits apart from obviously the, the ships going green? No, that place still had no missions or anything like that for me, so no other benefit that I saw. It would be cool that if you were trusted, you know, and they were all green, that they stopped scanning you when you went in. Sadly, I still got scanned. (laughs) Uh, Okay, but again, I'm sure this is probably just a work in progress. I'm sure there will be benefits to having allied stations and factions on your behalf. But interesting that the the ships go green. I didn't realize that at all. Okay, big topic, interdiction. John, you've tried this, have you? I've tried it from the point of view that I've been interdicted. One of my plans this evening before we decided to record was I was going to go and start interdicting people. But no, I've always been on the receiving end from the point of view of seeing people interdict others. It's all through videos and the live stream and things like that. But it's it's great. It's like a kind of tug of war stroke kind of reflex mini game really but it's because the way they've done it is so clever that it doesn't feel like a mini game yeah. it's it's very integrated with the whole experience and i think it's 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 a, a work of pure genius to be honest well and certainly i mean i've been interdicted once and managed to escape it and there is definitely a sense of achievement and a sense of relief isn't there when, when it says you know, interdiction failed and you can continue flying on it depends how hostile you are as well, because I actually prefer a lot of the time to just submit to it and then go and actually have the fight. <laughs> so let's get this straight. So you're a taker, not a giver, and you're all about the submission. Is that what we're picking up from this? 
Um, when it suits me. <laughs> Grant, take us out of this innuendo. Well, actually, I've just been in Chango Dock, and they have little interdiction units. They've got some mining lasers. They've got a fair wee bit of kit for setting yourself up for various different jobs. So, again, I seem to find myself tending not for them. I was going to try mining, but I can't get a refiner, and it kind of means... I can't really be bothered hunting down those bits yet. I'll maybe chance across them. So for now, I've now got my kill warrant scanner, and I'm going to go out and kill some people for fun. Fair enough. Ben, you've obviously taken people out of interdiction. That's all right. I, you've obviously interdicted people out of space. What can you tell us about it? No, I've taken people out using interdiction. I think the hardest thing I found was actually getting myself so that I was behind them, because obviously the, there are certain things one can only do behind somebody else, and interdicting is one of them. Then you basically you approach and it says interdiction tether established or something like that, I think it says. And then you're basically fighting the interdiction with the other person. You can see your bar going up versus their bar or not as the case might be. And have you sort of taken down sort of NPCs or have you taken down some real characters as well? I haven't seen any human beings since for about the last week, so it's only been NPCs. I had a couple of traders, uh, they just submitted to me, and that was fine. I was just practicing my interdiction rather than being a git. Okay, so were you able to scan these ships? Did you know that they were either wanted or you knew they were clean? Just using the normal scanning mechanism, so when you select somebody, you can turn around and look at them, and you'll see that they're wanted. But I couldn't go off and do like a kill warrant scanner on them whilst they were in supercruise. Okay, so you have to stick them um, and then use the yeah the warrant scanner. Yeah, one other thing which I found out, which was a bit of a pain, and I got a fine for this. I scanned the person. I found out they were wanted. I managed to pull them out of the supercruise, and I then proceeded to shoot them. And I got a bounty because I hadn't rescanned the person, even though it was the same person. So I had to go off and rescan him again to make sure he was still wanted before I was actually allowed to shoot him again, which was a bit of a pain. Yeah. Have you ticketed that? Maybe I should, yeah. I would say that's a ticketing job, and I must admit, from my resource extraction areas, the wanted system is a little bit messed up in terms of there's many a times where you can shoot someone after you've scanned them and they're wanted, and then suddenly everything goes nuts, and you, even though you don't have a wanted thing yourself, the local security forces will come after you. So there's a few tickets that I know from me uh, that are on the system about the wanted system. So I think it's something that they obviously need to tweak a little bit more. Finally, for the Beta 3, what they've included is some graphical updates. Planets reflect their chemical composition now, so it really is truly procedurally generated. We have volcanic features and craters. We have ice caps, we have liquid levels, and we have fracture lines for ice planets. I haven't yet gone and put my Explorer hat on and had a look at some of these but it is nice when you come up to a planet and you just stare out of your window and say, my God, the level of detail that's involved in this game is just immense. It definitely helps with your level of immersion. Grand, what's that look like in the Oculus Rift? It is stunning. They have certainly done some pretty major updates, even from the last one, which was pretty pretty. And the, everything seems to be a bit darker, so the slight gamma issues that were there seem to have been resolved. It works now with the... HMD direct mode rather than having it set up as a second monitor, which you know, isn't much, but it, 
it's not a sort of significant difference to your experience, but it's it means that you don't have to mess around with having multiple displays and having windows appearing on your Oculus. Every time you turn your Oculus on, your screens flicker and things. That doesn't happen when you use it in this mode, so it's a bit more playable from a point of view of you can have your windows all set up your work <laughs> that you're pretending to do and your oculus can be sitting there waiting just waiting lurking in the background so space seems darker and prettier and deeper one thing i have noticed in super cruises those um body lines that show you the orbits of stations and things now it's so easy to work out whether the thing you're trying to head towards is behind the planet or in front of a planet. It breaks now, which is awesome. Uh, that's interesting, because that's something that's still very difficult to do on a flat monitor. I can't imagine that being an Oculus only, but the orbital lines break, and so you can see what ends behind the planet, which is, yeah, a significant improvement for making supercruise that a little bit more friendly. Grant's right, I've noticed that it is a big help, because before, just to be sure, I would have to go kind of angle away from the planet, yeah and then look up at it so I knew which side to go. But yeah, now you can just tell from a distance. Also, they've put a slight break in the line behind whatever the object is. So, and I think that is meant to show which direction it's orbiting in. Although I don't think it matters usually, but it's just a nice piece of information, I guess. Cool, great stuff. Okay, well... That's going to do it for uh, our quick rundown on Beta 3. The Beta closes on the 22nd of November, which is obviously the same date as the Premier Party. And then after that, there are going to be no more Betas. So obviously, it's going to be an interesting topic to discuss in terms of what's missing from the current build, what we can expect in Gamma, how long Gamma is going to be, and when the final release of the game can be expected. But we'll get onto that in future episodes. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. Morning, John. Morning. How's things? Oh, so-so. We're getting there. The station should be ready for business by the time the new trade influx starts. Been working with Lisa on the automated defences, sorting the illegal goods list. The usual. Good to hear. I wanted to pick your brains on something. Sure. Just looking at Foz's latest performance review. If you take out Blackguard's comments, he's actually done pretty well over the last couple of months. I was thinking about promoting him. Didn't he fail the commission exam again? Yeah, but we could at least make him a first technician. After all, he's been here longer than pretty much everyone. Apart from us? Yeah, of course. Where is he right now? On leave. I gave him a couple of days, let him take the sidewinder out for a spin. Should be back any time. you sure that was wise? Well, what harm can it do? Commander's Lock, 0411-3300. Space at last. The final... Uh, well, anyway. On leave from the station and the orange sidewinder gets to stretch her legs. Tried out for the Astrogator brochure, which didn't go well. But now I'm back at lave with a hold full of tantalum. This'll get me back in the game. After I've sold up, I can buy my python back and head for the stars, leaving the vending machines behind. Request granted. Nearly there. Just got to remember what all these keys are for. What did I assign for us to control? Depressurization. Warning. Depressurization. Red lock deployed. 
space. Whoops. Uh, okay. No problem. Plenty of time to land. Just keep it steady. Head to the station. Keep it steady. Detecting hostile scan. Oh, what now? Station security? It's okay. It's a formality, that's all. Lisa, is that you? It's me, Fuzz. I've got Tantalum aboard. I'm sorry, Sidewinder. I'm struggling to read you. Did you say battle weapons? No! I said Tantalum! I'm afraid battle weapons are illegal in this system, Sidewinder. We've updated your criminal record. Space! I said Tantalum! Regrettably, I'll have to authorise your termination. Have a nice day. Wait a minute! I said... Oh, At least I've still got landing clearance. I might just make it if I... Welcome back. Essentially, the podcast this week split up into two sections. So, Foz and the rest of the gang have covered most of the pertinent topics. But we thought it'd be a good idea just to go back through a few bits and pieces that we may have missed over the last couple of episodes. And also to bring us up to date in relation to the newsletters and pertinent issues that are around some of the subsidiary projects around Elite. And also to comment on the community at large and how things are going with some of the creative projects that individuals are putting together. So, joining me is John. Hello. Who's obviously, who's been brilliant and stayed over for both recording sessions. And we've got Colin with us too. Hi, Colin. Good evening. So we're going to kick off with looking back a little bit, as I say, and looking at Newsletter 44. Now, the reason we're going to cover this is because we didn't really feature a couple of the elements that were in Newsletter 44. One of them being the book produced, Out of the Darkness, by T. James one of the elite official fiction novels that came out independently so wasn't part of either of the publishing stables although it's now been set up so it's being sold from the fantastic book site so guys um your thoughts well um i'm about three quarters of the way through it and i must admit it's a very good conspiracy theory stroke detective novel and uh, i must admit um it has taken me a little bit by surprise it's surprised in what way? Well, it's quality, actually. The I was expecting, because it hadn't been through the editing process at either the two publishing houses, um, I was expecting it to be a bit more like fan fiction. But obviously, TJ's um, looking at his back catalogue. He's, he's published a few things, and it's certainly up there with the fantastic books fiction. It's difficult for me, really, because yeah. I edited it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so so cheers for that. Oh, right. <laughs> I so, will yeah. just now remove the foot from my mouth. 
but that's that's perfectly fine you know i mean obviously that's that's your impression as a reader and that's great so obviously that you know that's great for tj and uh and for the whole project in you know in relation to to putting the book together i think it's kind of nice in that it's got a slightly different style you know he's he's obviously he's got a, a slightly different cover to to the others and it's it sort of it's almost like a bridging novel in that regard you know it's it's a bit like certainly to look at it's a little bit like the Galantz novels but then it, it has the sort of independent uh, sort of air of perhaps some of the you know the origins of the fantastic books novels great to see him join the club really and uh, and obviously a long haul for him in terms of getting the thing together and it's already doing well with reviews and other bits and pieces john have you had a chance to have a look I thought the editing wasn't very good. No, I'm joking. I, <laughs> I, I haven't had, uh, I haven't got to that one yet. Um, but after what Colin said, it actually sounds like something I might like. And you know, given that the the quality of the editing's there, um, I will probably <laughs> most likely pick it up. Was it me who actually interviewed him way back when we first started the podcast and we were doing the writers' interviews? I think it might have been. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it's the main book that features the Thargoids. Mm. So. It's more about the Thargoids than certainly any of the other books do at this stage, although we don't know anything about the last book that is to come, which moves us nicely on to Newsletter 45. We've got the very interesting announcement, which was Michael Brooks's book, which we've all been waiting for. We were all intrigued and interested and curious and, and everything else for quite some some long period of time. And he kind of downplayed it for a long period and, you know, went off and did other stuff. And then lo and behold, he turns up and he's got a draft and it's all nearly ready. Now, if you guys know, I mean, I don't know um, how much you do know about Michael's writing, but um, he's a very, very quick writer. He does seem to just magic these long drafts of books out of the air and an elite legacy suddenly is written and i my hat off to him in that obviously it's gonna need editing but that's what's there i mean what are your thoughts uh, you know is there anything about it that um, that you're looking forward to from the blurb yeah no it definitely sounds interesting that there's that kind of element of mystery to this as well which again i mean it sounds really interesting and really my cup of tea and I was drawn to the cover as well because it looks like he's got a Lacon Type 7 on there. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. Which hasn't actually featured a lot outside of early concept art, has it? Yeah, that's certainly interesting. I mean, it's with the fact that it was the, the box set book, there was some consideration that it was going to be a sequel to The Dark Wheel. And certainly from the blurb in the newsletter, we don't really get that. And Michael did downplay that element a little bit by talking about it being a spiritual successor to the dark wheel rather than being an actual successor um i get the kind of i get the vibe from the blurb that it, it's quite a, a contained piece and i think that's you know a lot of the writers have gone for that because they're obviously they're trying to tell a story that doesn't necessarily have huge impact across the elite universe because that's not really what david braben wanted you know he was after the stories to be you know sort of pathways into the elite universe so that essentially the players became the you know the players of the game became more of the heroes and the idea was that you know the the characters that came out of the fiction were alongside you effectively well i, I think that writing an epic isn't an easy task so i think that it's it's I, I think the writers have shown some maturity in their restraint. We've got the idea that it's a spiritual sequel to The Dark Wheel. It doesn't really seem to, to necessarily involve much of it, do you think, Colin? No, it doesn't look like, uh, like it at all. There is a hint of a conspiracy, 
And whenever elite seems to be mentioned in the same phrase as conspiracy, normally the first thing that pops into your head is, oh, the dark wheel, uh, because of the original novel. It's those buzzwords, isn't it? It's Raxler, it, it's, you know, the, the other bits and pieces, the elite myths, like, like the Thargoids and stuff. Yeah. This doesn't really say anything about any of those. I guess we're kind of hoping that, you know, that Michael saved a trick or two. You know, that he's he's not sold them all away to all the other writers. Um, and there's, you know, there's something there to to sort of chew on as uh, as it comes through. I think it'll be a, a great piece. Um, he's obviously, he's got Sundragon out the way, which is his latest novel. He's got that finished and, and sort of released now. So I guess the next concentration will be looking at that. Mm. So, yeah. Do you think he might have benefited in a way from seeing all of the drafts of all the, the other stuff? And so he could um, have kind of had that all that in the back of his mind. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, if you're that immersed in writing of a particular type, and I mean, Michael is, you know, he he's very very immersed in writing all the time. Is you know, it's part of his his sort of hobby, as it were, outside of being executive producer of Elite Dangerous. But when you are that immersed, I guess, in the genre, you know, in the genre of writing for a period of time then you see good things, you see bad things, you know, and, and I guess that kind of helps you avoid and, you know, and use, as it were. And, you know, which I, as a fellow writer, I have no mind of. Um, if he sees something that, you know, that he likes as a good technique and wants to make use of it in a slightly different way in his own work, then great. And and I think I think it will help. I mean, you know, he obviously has got a very strong awareness now of the style of everything that's been written. So he can set his own style and he can also you know, sort of complement it, as it were. Okay. Cool. All right. So the only other things in newsletter 45 that were mentioned was the We Own the Night event, which is going on on November 8th by online retailer newegg.com in the House of Blues, Anaheim, California. Now, Lave Radio as a, as a podcast is, uh, we're all from the United Kingdom and we're all sort of talking here from, from the different parts of the United Kingdom on Skype. But it's always good to see that Elite Dangerous has got a bit of scope out in the, the States as well. And we're very, you know, very conscious of the fact that, uh, that we have US listeners too. So we're kind of hoping that uh, this obviously will go really well. And they're going to show off Elite Dangerous and, uh, and kind of you know, see how it goes with, uh, with the people over at Newegg.com. Now, this podcast might well have gone out just after the event because it is on the 8th of November we're recording now on the 6th so um, good luck to everyone that's there and if you had a great time then um, do you know offer us some feedback let us know and we'll see what we can talk about it on the next show so and the next thing that uh, came about with newsletter 45 was the announcement about a forum upgrade now we've had a few weeks to get used to it we were on a, a fairly sort of old version of vBulletin and everything sort of changed around a little bit moved over Thoughts about it? Better, worse? It's very orange. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the theme, doesn't it? You know, if we if we what think we, back over, what did what did you start? This orange <laughs> bloody sidewind, and then everything's got to be orange. The HUD is orange. The forum is orange. Oh, come on! Careful, careful! You're blurring two words there. Orange. Orange. It's orange. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a perfect. Yeah, no, I mean it, it. Obviously, it's got its it's got its sort of hue, hasn't it? In terms of what's there, I mean, you can change your theme. You can you can have a sort of basic frontier theme, but the elite dangerous theme is orange. Um, <laughs> I've got a good and, point about it. The, okay, great. The mobile theme 
is good because it works. It's, it is a proper mobile theme, whereas the previous one wasn't very good well, on I'm, phones, really. I, I'm only just really getting used to it. And um, I noticed that there are a few things, you know, a few of the sort of familiar things that I was using. There actually there are slightly better ways of doing it. For example, because I, I don't use the forums as much as I used to. I, you know, I'll be honest in that once they've got more crowded, it becomes more difficult to to find the the sort of threads that you know that you want to spend time on. And you know, the areas that I do spend more time on are usually the fan creation threads and the stuff like that. Because actually, I'm keen about individuals in the community who are creating things that sort of make the community rich. So sometimes, and because that's not quite such a popular forum, sometimes that stuff gets missed. What I was using with the old system is I was using the new posts function to always see where the conversations were. And of course, as you know, the beta forum or the general forum or the gameplay forum get more and more populated by people playing the game, then the fan creations area kind of, you know, the only way in really is to just go directly into the, the forum section. But now we've got this lovely thing that if you click on your own profile, you can go over and there are some nice lists of topics that you've started or topics that your friends have started which is great because you can actually almost sort of find your community. You can find where your friends are, are posting and what they're talking about, which kind of makes that friends list a little bit more active in terms of how you use it on the forum. Now, the, there is a negative in that you know, we don't want to end up all as tiny little, I don't know, little gangs. Little cliques. You know, populating. Yeah, exactly. Populating little sections of the forum. But it does mean at least you can find the threads that your mates are talking about. Yeah, uh, I must admit, I haven't been. I've, I've been using the forum as uh, as I used to. I haven't actually gone into the new functionality yet, but I can see that there are a little bit that you can you can, we can pick up and use. It's just I don't know. It is a, a, a sort of a learning curve to get used to it. Do you think it's people fear change? Oh well, yes, I'm scared of change. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, the font size is a little bit smaller. That's you know, and I'm not <laughs> not saying that to decry us all as as old curmudgeons, but it is always something that you know, when a forum's altered, when the font size gets a bit smaller, it it kind of makes that alteration a little bit jarring to actually find your stuff because you get used to sort of where it is. It's not about going and getting your bifocals, but it is something of, of where you're used to. But otherwise, yeah, we've got to accommodate more traffic, I guess. And uh, and obviously, it's it's a decision that's been made to, to make it more efficient. I do like that profiling function, though, to, to find what's been said and what your friends have said. I think that's very cool. I think the um, point system, plus wanting people's posts and, and giving them reputation, all the rest of that, that seems to have been sort of set aside a bit more it's still there but it's a little bit less prominent yeah uh, <laughs> yes which because all it was it was being abused a little as soon as a, a new person started using it and they made a, a faux pas that was it that everybody just negatived them <laughs> well you know i mean that's uh, petty games for uh, for anyone but um but yeah so you know i mean obviously uh, as i say if they've put that sort of to the side then that makes things a little bit easier all right so we'll move on then we've got an interesting sort of set in that uh, in newsletter 45 obviously there's some, been some elite videos featured throughout the newsletters and we're, we're seeing more and more of these we're not just seeing shows as in review shows you know and sort of coverage shows but we're seeing more and more videos of, of sort of diversity and just kind of celebrating the prettiness of uh, of the game that um you know that we're we're down to play and one of the nice things i noticed in 45 was we had 
Tommy TTK produce essentially what 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 is is just a postcard video with with lots of pretty shots of of stuff in game but he put his own music on it which i thought was really nice so for me as a you know as a music composer i always like to see that i always like to see it when um when people are putting original creative work in there i don't know what do you guys think about sort of what's happened with the elite dangerous videos that we've had well, as a kind of a top-down look at, you know, what's happening, it's nice to see these, like, fan-made videos actually getting coverage on major games websites. I think it was PC Gamer or PCN, I can't remember which it was, covered, um, was it Galaxy 5? It's um, Which is basically just a, a look at the Elite Galaxy and its, you know, splendor. Um, and mm. that kind of thing really... Um, you know, makes me feel positive about the game that people are looking at it as a kind of source of awe and wonder. You know, just the fact that you know the developers have you know spent all this time creating a, a fully functional galaxy is itself you know something of note. So I'm actually quite excited by it. You know, it's not just the usual you know putting together you know quick, fast edited you know battle scenes and things like that, but that. There's some genuine in- interest in, you know, the galaxy and, and, you know, the beautiful things in it. Colin, any thoughts? Oh, um, yeah. As, as someone who does one of these show videos every every now and again, I must admit, when you come across some of the, what I call the arty ones, they just, they just show off the, the game at, at its prettiest. On top of that, I also know how difficult those are to do because Frontier have a distinct advantage. They're able to do external views. They're able to place the camera and do flybys while everybody else has to either use the cockpit and the sidewinder and look up and have all their mates fly around to do those kind of kind of shots. And I think me and Mr. Ben Mosswood would try to do that a couple of those ones, and it was very difficult to do. So every time I see one of these with flybys, I'm, I'm always impressed. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, obviously, ED Tracker or uh, or Track IR makes some of the, you know, the opportunity to to look around a little bit easier, in that you can control it with the with the headset and what have you. But, you know, it's still tricky, and of course, keeping the quality high when you're doing that kind of zooming is also also very difficult. I think as well. I mean, in terms of in terms of sort of the niches of the different fil- uh, different films and and shows that we're seeing, I think Colin, yours is probably the late night drive time of uh, <laughs> very much of, so. Um, of elite dangerous as it were so you know that's that's kind of got its its own niche and then you see scott manley uh sort of doing the the sort of reviews because he's got such a wide plethora of of reviews of different games it kind of sets things against you know other games or other things that people are looking at and then you see a few of them that have have kind of taken slightly different angles and i mean isanona where isanona's uh set of videos are all about scenario play. And I love the fact that, you know, the way in which he set those so that he doesn't break character. Mm. It's always completely in-game. You know, it's not necessarily about um, uh, pretty shots or this, that, and the other. It's always, he's always in character. He's never talking as if, I mean, obviously he doesn't put talking, he puts um, text dialogue. But the point is, is that none of the content breaks the character of of commander is an owner you know he is still trying to do these things in the game and i think that's really immersion pulling and i think that's that's really great and i definitely think that you know as a community the more we do that kind of immersion pull on uh, on anything of finding any way to you know to sort of encourage people to 
to sort of believe the narrative, as it were. I think it's yeah. The the Asuna is definitely one of the ones that um, as soon as a, a video turns up, I'm I'm there on it. The other one is Neil Raven. He always comes out with some, or he or she, because I, I don't know which. Um, he always comes out with something which is always uh, worth looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean some of those are very pretty that he does, and you know, there's some some incredible scope in terms of the you know the the way the the federal battleship was uh, was portrayed in one of the the pieces he did was was incredible um one i saw so the other day which we had um i think just in uh, one of the later newsletters we had one where somebody had just flown flight assist off through all the the passageways in the space station as it was rotating which was amazing and you're literally up against the windows which uh, was fantastic that's the home run that's that's yeah. what they nicknamed the home run yeah no absolutely no no great idea so moving on to newsletter 46 so in newsletter 46 we've got a, a few more concept arts of the orca and then we've got a feature for uh, elite wanted which is the book by gavin and stephen so gavin dias as they are together but gavin smith and stephen dias they've been actually collaborating on on another book at the same time and then uh, were sort of encouraged by galance and you know and sort of um applied to Galantz to do do an elite book. And this is, you know, and Gavin and, and Stephen have both been to to LaveCon and been to to some of the other elite events to talk about stuff and they've been featured on the show. So this is Elite Dangerous uh mixed with um with the film Heat. So, you know, as it were, but with two female protagonists. Um so yeah, so at the moment um I, my partner's reading it, so uh, Karen's reading it, so uh, I'll uh, I'll definitely find out from her what the verdict is when she's had a chance to finish it. I take it neither of you've read it. It's on the Kindle, ready to go. Colin? Yeah. No, I'm afraid I haven't got it. And then we come to newsletter 47, which is the latest one. Now, obviously, we've got we've got newsletter 48 out whilst we're recording this. So it'll be out tomorrow. So newsletter 48 will have come out by the time this, this is published. But um, for us at the moment, newsletter 47 is the last newsletter that we've got now here we've now got the dates of beta closing which is very interesting what do you think that means gentlemen party (laughs) i think there's going to be a party somewhere yeah really really some somewhere where 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 do you reckon that would be cardiff do you think i mean we you know are we are we going there john well it would be easier for me but i i don't think so (laughs) i think cambridge (laughs) is is a a better one if they want to make sure that all the uh, frontier employees are going to turn up Okay, so Cambridge to start with, and then, you know, after party being Cardiff, yeah? Yep. Um, the party in Cardiff um, looks set to be going ahead. I'm just waiting for the um, uh, the venue to confirm that they can accommodate all the people. Um, it's looking pretty certain because I've dealt with them before. Need to confirm the date on the forums, but um, it's we're looking at the 13th of December. Whoever can make it can make it. It's going to be a very laid-back affair. Uh, it's not going to be planned or, you know, um, there's not going to be hundreds of PCs on the LAN, people playing. It's, it's just going to be a, um, a chance for people who love the game to meet up and, and talk. Fantastic. And so midway through this, fresh off the press from finishing off a particular project, which he's going to talk about in a little bit, we're joined by Chris. Hello. So we're going to carry on discussing Newsletter 47, and hopefully we can get his insight. Let's move straight on then. Just going back to the closing of Beta then, I think it kind of infers that we're into Gamma, doesn't it, by the 22nd of November. It's certainly interesting to me because, of course, at this stage, and you know, I'll confess here, I haven't really played Beta I played Alpha, and then I played Prem Beta uh, on Karash's Twitch channel. 
as it was released but that was literally the last time I was able to get any chance of, of playing Elite Dangerous so I pretty much missed all of beta I'm kind of hoping I'm going to get a little bit of time but I've just been so busy but the interesting thing about beta closing of course then means that you know we're into gamma we're all but feature complete do you think they've I mean have they missed anything John is there anything that um, that isn't still uh, still in place at the moment um, well, as I mentioned with uh, Fozza and uh, Ben, um, I am actually going to be compiling a list and analyzing the DDA, um, just going through all of the different proposals and kind of comparing it to what we have now uh, and what we're likely to have, um, you know, by launch, because it is imminent. Um, mm. Not not just simply to say, oh, why haven't we got this? You know, what happened to that? But more just to see how, you know, the how the game's evolved and how that might have affected decisions. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we've seen, for instance, interdiction, have probably meant, you know, they've had an impact on, you know, previous proposals. And so I'll be having a look at that. It's interesting in in itself in that you know we, we we've now got this massive development log effectively through you know through when we started all the way back at the start of 2013 uh, with the kickstarter closing we've got a development log all the way through to you know to now and um just you know those those ddf topics kind of feel like they were were a long time ago it's kind of a bit weird um trying to remember things that you know that we talked about and agreed and you know seeing them come to you know, come to fruition in the game is, you know, is obviously is great. But of course, there's bound to be a few things that um, that may have been discussed and, you know, aren't there yet or anything else. So, yeah, so it'd be interesting. I mean, we've got a lot of ships still to go, haven't we? So a lot of those still to come in. A couple of new ones, obviously, in Beta 3. It's the Imperial Clipper, isn't it? And the um, the Federal Dropship. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that Federal Dropship looks scary. Well, mm. as I said to the other guys, um, whenever I've encountered them, the pilots seem to be quite inept, um, <laughs> which which doesn't bode well because uh, I think Frontier in their Beta 3 trailer were trying to sell it as some kind of bounty hunters, you know, Rolls Royce or something like that. Um, did, you, did you get a Terrorhawks vibe off of it? I, I kind of did. No, um, the, Terrahawks, the Terrahawk vibe I always get off the Eagle. Oh really? Okay, yeah. No, I was. I thought that front. I thought was was quite sort of Terra Hawks. It oh. does look menacing, and it's it kind of reminds me of like the first Ford. You know, you're only going to have black. Um, <laughs> uh, it does. It does look good, um, and I, I don't know. I've looked at the stats of it um, in you know in game, and you know it does look good, but oh, it's so expensive. Uh. Oh, they're all expensive now. They're all expensive. I mean, um, as people on the forums have pointed out, once after an ASP, it just it it's you know going to take a lot of work. Which, you know, I got no problem with because you know you, you, it's a reward at the end of the day. You know, you put in the hours playing the game, um, so it's only fair that um, you know when somebody sees you in a in a anaconda, then they're going to say, "Oh, wow, how long did it take you to get that?" Yeah, and obviously that changes a little bit, doesn't it? As um uh, you know, as the different iterations with wipes come through, uh, in terms of what's there, um, but you know, I mean that that will obviously will uh, you know will alter as uh, as things go. I, I guess as well, the nice thing with this iteration, I don't want to go on too much about beta, but the nice thing with this iteration is that it the space is now wide enough for people to properly explore, um, and I guess we'll get that more in uh, in gamma as things go. Jarvis has just arrived. Bring him on board. 
And there we are. Hello, Chris. How you doing? You right? Hello. Hello, Chris. I imagine he's scrabbling around trying to plug a microphone in. <laughs> yep, there no you headset, go. Exactly. No uh, okay, well, we'll let him scrabble for a minute or two. Are you there yet, Chris? I'm not sure. Am I connected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, moving to the detail of newsletter 47, um, we've got quite a lot in here of the Beta 3 trailer. We've got more concept pictures. It's actually a pretty full newsletter. And sometimes, because of the, the change to go weekly, uh, these newsletters have been a little bit light at times. But this one is, is absolutely, I don't think you could ever accuse it of being light. There's so much stuff uh, to chat through. Um, and one of the sections that's quite new and, and particularly interesting is the discussion about the restrictions on soul so what's going on with the soul system john any ideas well apparently um all players are being you know all the backers and early beta players are being being given a permit um so that they can go to the soul but apparently subsequent joiners people who come after the gamma are going to have to get that permit somehow um, either through faction reputation or, or through, you know, I don't know, through missions or something like that. So it's an interesting decision. Um, they haven't really explained why they've done it or, or not to, you know, um, to my satisfaction, I guess. Um, does anybody have, you know, an inkling? Well, we didn't really get any inkling of this in the, um, in the fiction forums at all, did we, Chris? No, this isn't. It's interesting. This isn't something that came up, um, and I think we were quite lucky <laughs> that most of the writers kind of stayed away from the soul system anyway, because otherwise it would have been, um, you know, obviously a bit awkward now. Um, so I don't know if this is a recent decision. Um, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I guess you can kind of see with sort of the politics that we have now around, you know, sometimes people being a bit. Um, I don't know what the word is, a bit exclusive about ideas of migration and who is, you know, a proper Earth citizen. You can imagine a scenario where mankind has expanded into space and the people that kind of live there and have always lived there are a bit like, who are all these people coming into the soul system that weren't born here kind of thing? <laughs> so, you know, it's a way so, of kind of keeping un unqualified people out. Are you saying are you saying that essentially the soul system has become a huge Norwich? <laughs> <laughs> I do not know Norwich well enough to comment. You kippers want a seat, and yeah. uh, <laughs> it's 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 a system for local people. Yeah. It's a local system for local people. Uh, I, I, you know, I have some other places I could I could cite like Overton and. Uh, okay. Uh, say, but, you're saying know, a so. ship from Barnard Star flies in and all, all the other ships just go quiet and look at them. <laughs> Everyone Probably worries about the house cheap. prices when people from Barnard Star uh, move in. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so they've obviously, they've created a, a bit of a, a wall here in terms of, you know, access and, and privilege. It's interesting. You know, it's another thing to, um, to encourage gameplay. I guess it'll create a a little bit of a difference between some players and other players to start with it allow us to congregate in a particular place that might be quite interesting you know seeing players all sort of going to the place that they can all go to you know because that's a privilege so yes that could be interesting i wonder how it reflects on the founders world well that's what i was worried about well when you think about it soul is the ultimate founders world are you yeah, but I think, you know, I mean, the reward for the founders world and this for for listeners who perhaps 
aren't aware of it uh, during the kickstarter there was a, a reward for naming the founders world which uh, you know was uh, was duly submitted to frontier by a particular backer who um, you know is fairly well known in the community and um since then, we've not heard very much about the Founders World itself and what the Founders World means, what it, you know, how it relates to the rest of uh, of the elite law, et cetera, et cetera. So we're kind of wondering what, with the fact that we've now got restrictions on Seoul, we know that there are certain restrictions on the Founders World as well, based on, you know, on your backing level. So it's quite interesting to see how this then relates to, to that and, you know, is it a case that we have almost a reactionary community it could be that have founded the founders world i don't know i do know that some people who want to play imperials are going to be a bit hacked off if they want to visit seoul <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely a point because obviously you know you might find that you lose something of that um you know if you if you're being if you're being an imperial then it might be you you lose your your federal access to to the seoul system you know, could be if you're too high ranked in uh, in the empire, perhaps a senator. You know, you're not able to go go back to Seoul. Yeah, imagine that. I, senator Drew banned from Seoul. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't comment on any individual cases <laughs> in in any way, shape, or form. Um, so yeah, so that that kind of is is the announcement about Seoul. And then we've got some extra stuff in there in terms of uh, the paint jobs and additional decals and other bits and pieces. But then we have two really interesting sort of elements in this newsletter. One is the the making of Elite Dangerous, which is a, a 15 minute video of interviews with um, with a lot of the design team, which yeah is fantastic. It really sort of informative in terms of their process and some of the things that they've enjoyed as they've as they've made things. And I love the fact that we could see some of the concept art alongside how it's now appeared in game. I don't know, guys, what um, what were your thoughts about this? Oh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, um, but of course. Since we, uh, we have been in this right from the very beginning, it did seem to go over ground that we've covered before. It's just a kind of compilation of everything that's been uh, that's been uh, done. Yeah, but at the same time, it was really nice to see maybe some new faces. I mean, not new faces because they're obviously established frontier staff. But I mean, there's a lot of people that have appeared in that video that maybe we've not seen quite so upfront. Um, in some of the elite stuff in the mm. past. And it was really nice hearing those different departments kind of, you know, talking about their work and how they kind of interact with each other and, you know, talking about elements they've really enjoyed. I mean, obviously, I really enjoyed um, a lot of the stuff from the sound department. But, yeah, it was just really nice to see some some different faces than we're used to in the videos. Uh, and a testament to how entertaining the video was. I actually watched all of it. Um, yeah. And normally, I, I have to be really careful when I say this because I said this to someone the other day and then immediately realised how dodgy it was. Um, but I normally don't watch videos on the internet that are more than three minutes long. Um, <laughs> and it, it's oh. purely an attention span. There's so much kind of journalism now on the internet where there's like a link. It looks like a link to an article and you click on it and all the information's in a video. And I just think, I, I read so fast, I just want to be presented with text because I can scan text in 30 seconds and then go back to whatever I was doing. And if I click on a link and it's like, oh God, it's like a five minute video, I genuinely, most of the time, don't watch it. So there you go, there you go, web content providers. If you're putting videos out there, I don't watch them. Uh, norm normally I just check the length first. And if it's under three minutes, I think, okay, I'll watch it. So for any listeners out there who were worrying about the level of grumpiness in our podcast, <laughs> we have Chris back hey. to uh, 
ensure that the uh, correct level of grumpy is being observed. It's been a long day. <laughs> I did think you yeah. were being a bit too happy. Um, I think I think just to to sort of chime in on that in terms of seeing new faces and seeing you know or, or faces that are less uh, less well known in terms of what's there. Um, we had all the meet the teams over a, a long period of time that Ashley produced, uh, where we had to you know we had interviews with particular uh, members of departments and so on and so forth, and they you know they'd obviously gone around the office to get volunteers, and it was quite nice in that you know some of the the community. Uh, things that have been provided, like the the cake that was provided at LaveCon 2013, that appeared on every desk that was featured, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, all of that was was great stuff, and it kind of disappeared a little bit because we lost, you know, uh, the the changeovers with with community managers and other bits and pieces happened, and and we sort of lost a little bit of that um, that kind of profiling connection. I love to see people who are involved in in a project, and I like to see them enthused about the things that they're interested in, um, and it was lovely to you know to see all the different aspects of what they've been working on yeah, yeah totally and uh, and also technically you know other considerations aside some really nice compositing in their video actually yeah we've all seen videos done really badly with you know people on superimposed backdrops and i was actually watching a lot of that thinking that's pretty solid actually yeah yeah no absolutely i mean there was uh, some nice was angles some... chosen as well the way the people were sitting and the sort of ang- the camera angles they'd chosen in because a lot of the people were were sitting inside kind of ship cockpits from the game um, and they'd, they'd made quite a lot of effort, actually, in the sort of presentation of it. Absolutely. I was watching one from the BBC the other day that was terrible. So, you know, it, <laughs> it kind of, you know, just showing that, uh, you know, it was a real polish to, to what was there. And I think it does, you know, it, it, it shows it as a as a team effort. And I think that was that was great. And, you know, as well, knowing that, you know, we've met some of the, the Frontier guys at, uh, and girls at, uh, at LaveCon. When we have met some of the Frontier team, the nice thing is, of course, is that, you know, the fans and the players are so enthusiastic about the game. And I think that rubs off. You know, I think that does. I think, you know, I think it goes both ways. I think that, you know, the the guys who are working on it can see the, the appreciation that the forum has, even down to, you know, when there's a release and a lot of pizza turns up, but also down to the fact that, you know, just the, the day-to-day comments and the, you know, the compliments of, of what they're doing in terms of the design. I think, you know... I think there's some fantastic stuff going on, and it's lovely when people can encourage each other. I think that's really good. You any thoughts on it, John? Uh, not enough lens flare. <laughs> um, no, no. I think you guys pretty much uh, covered it all there. I couldn't agree more. It was it was great to see some people who were really passionate about what the, the project that they've been working on for a very long time. It's I imagine it's very easy to get burnt out. You know, going in day after day, working on the same thing, even if it is a you know a computer game that you know you probably really want to play yourself. But um, it was just great to hear about you know the origins of you know um, their inspiration for you know ship design and things like that. Um, and as you said, yeah, a very well made video. Now, turning to the last thing that uh, that we found in um, the newsletter forty seven. This is related to the current Kickstarter that's that's on, and I think is is closing fairly soon, which is the Elite Archives project by Anthony Olver. Now, this is particularly interesting because what Anthony's done is he's he's you know an avid collector of all things Elite from from a long period of time. So he's got you know he's looking at most of the game releases. He's he's got uh, you know sort of stuff with the fiction and everything else. And this project is a a sort of a celebration, as it were, of all things elite from the past. 
and has just crossed the line. So congratulations to uh, to Anthony in terms of, of what he's doing. But one of the things this does is it also kind of gives us a bit of a moment to almost reflect on just how far everything's come, really, in terms of, you know, of everything we're doing. Anthony, as a backer, is, you know, he's backed quite a lot of the books. You know, I, I don't think he'd be um, uh, humble about uh, about that. He's, you know, he has. He's backed a lot of the books, backed uh, about a lot of us authors. I've been very, very generous in his support. And it's great to see that Frontier were, you know, uh, were going to endorse and support this project. And he's out in Australia. So, you know, he's another one of our uh, international um, sort of writers in that regard. But he's putting this thing together as a as a complete package to kind of go through everything that, um, you know, that is the iterations of Elite and Frontier uh, through the time and uh, and sort of celebrate the story and i think it i think it's a story worth celebrating in that regard what do you reckon guys yeah i think it's uh, it's very nice to have something that uh, shows us how we got here uh, right from the very very be- beginning release on the bbc and the acon i know that drew has, has done some comparisons amongst the the uh, some of the earlier versions of elite and those were always interesting but I do want to know some of the history that um, went on behind the scenes and how the game was published and why publishers were despised at the very end. Any Anyone for any more? I think it's really interesting in that, you know, just how much stuff was released with everything. I mean, you know, we, we think of the things that were released in, you know, in the pack that you got, perhaps the manual that you had um, and the, you know, the fiction book that you had with with your particular piece or your particular version of the game. You know, perhaps you bought, I don't know, Elite on the Amstrad CPC 464 and uh, and you got this set of stuff. But then somebody else who bought Elite Plus got a different set of stuff and you know actually looking back over it there is a huge difference in in a lot of the things and i mean one of those those stories obviously is those those people early on who made it to elite and then sent off their savings on cassette tapes and got little metal badges you know i think that you know i mean that's that's a story in itself didn't david braben say that the fact that they did that cut down on piracy of the original game did it? Mm. Okay, interesting. I I don't know. Don't know how. I mean, Lenslock obviously was the the main thing to cut down on piracy. No, appa- <laughs> apparently there was a unique um, elite membership card with every um, every copy uh-huh. of the game, and it had a, a, a unique code on it. So you'd send that back once you'd reached elite, and you had either you send it in the photograph of the of the screen, or you. Um, uh, or you, your save game, and you got one of the little elite badges, which are very similar to the pins. Oh, fantastic! So, any thoughts on this, John? Uh, unfortunately, not. I'm a bit of a neophile, and um, you know, not, it's, not it's, enough lens flare. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. not. It's a bit too <laughs> sentimental for me. I mean, I appreciate what yeah. he's doing, and uh, a lot of people seem to be really excited by it. So, uh, you know, good luck to him. So that pretty much does us for the newsletters. Are you struggling with paying fines? Do you lose sleep in hyperspace worrying about docking at the next space station? If the answer is yes, then you need to call Carolyn McGrath Fine Management Services. I got scanned while in Federation space and was caught carrying slaves. 
It was an unexpected expense that I couldn't afford on top of my fines for damaged course whilst docking. We can help you consolidate all your existing fines into a single large fine, payable in regular instalments at what is almost a competitive interest rate. I called Cowell and McGrath Fine Management Services and they helped me pay my existing fines before I got a bounty on my head. They really saved my life. At Cowell and McGrath, we've helped thousands of pilots whose fines had spiralled out of control. I dared not go near a police star system. Got so desperate that I'd almost resigned myself to a life of piracy. Luckily, I found Cowell and McGrath's services before I actually murdered anyone in cold blood. No fines too big, no criminal record too damning. We're here to help you, no questions asked. Find us in the Lave Business Directory. I'd got into debt as a result of a massive counter lawsuit by Watt and Pritney. It happened because I'd taken advice on Python protection insurance from... Wait a minute! It was you! Cowell and McGrath. Minimum liability, zero accountability. Warning, balances may go up as well as down. Missed payments may lead to repossession of your ship, seizure of cargo or the issuing of a death warrant. So what we're going to do now is we're going to move over to the last couple of bits and pieces that we wanted to cover in uh, in this cast, which is to update really on a few of the things that have been going on with um, with some of the side projects as uh, as things have gone on. So we know that um, you know that the community is sort of expanded in terms of its videos we've got you know all sorts of other little projects uh sort of coming about with uh, with different things going on there so do encourage people if you're new to elite dangerous and you're just you know or you've played the game and you've kind of involved in the um the beta forums or anything else i do encourage you come down to the fan creation section and just see what what other people are making and doing i think it is is really worthwhile you can always find uh some stuff in there um and then just to turn a little bit shamelessly um, onto onto all things about um, stuff that's being published and going on, I think we've got a, a couple of announcements of our own, haven't we, Chris? Yeah, totally. Well, well, firstly, the thing that occurred to me while we were talking about that is I think Fantastic Books Publishing have picked up the Elite Archives. Yes, they have. Probably, yes, um, which was interesting. And the other thing that uh, I can say, because I'm pretty sure it went out in one of Dan's updates on the website today, we have release dates for the Elite Anthology and mostly harmless audiobooks. Fantastic! So one of those. So for backers and actually for people to just go and buy them on the site, uh, Elite Anthology is looking at the 15th of November. So this is Tales from the Frontier, yeah. Tales from the Frontier, yes. And uh, Kate Russell's book, mostly harmless, uh, 30th of November. Fantastic. Okay, so actually pretty imminent then. Uh, it sounds like the the tales will be out before the um, before the, the the launch party. Yes, and we are. I mean, I can't I can't make any promises on that. We are looking into whether or not there's any way we can have something physical um, with both the books on available for the launch event. Um, but that's only like an idea we had a couple of days ago. So we're not sure if it'll happen. Um, <laughs> but it'll be something along. It won't be like the full, we're not talking about the full thing with the artwork and the case and, uh, and on sure. disc and stuff. We're talking about doing some like branded USB sticks that contain the audio books. Yeah. Um, and if we can do that to give people a kind of early, early physical copy of something, then, you know, wow. then that'd be a great idea. But we just don't know if it's feasible before, uh, before the 22nd. Wow, fantastic. Okay, well, it's great to hear that obviously your hard work is is kind of 
gradually coming to an end and I'm sure you'll be delighted when uh, when you've managed to get a couple of those projects out the door. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's kind of been a huge learning experience with, with how these books have been done um, and having come off the back of finishing the anthology and going into Kate's book, uh, working on Kate's book was a much simpler process because a lot of the work had already been done for the anthology. Um, lessons obviously been learned about how to do things kind of quickly and efficiently and it's also, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's technically it's a shorter project. So are you moving on to, uh, to Drew's book next? Is that right? Drew's book is next. Um, again, I, I, can't, I can't make any promises, but the, 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 the aim is to have it finished before Christmas. It will be just before Christmas, though. So people that want Elite Reclamation, um, you know, you might want to hold out for like the couple of days just before Christmas. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, at the moment, fingers crossed, looking at how long it's taken me to do things and how many working hours I've got, you know, the next couple of months, it should be done comfortably. Um, but all kinds of things go wrong. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure everybody's prepared to to, to wait as things come. But uh, it obviously is. It's very encouraging that uh, that we're now starting to see projects finished. I'm delighted because, of course, people will start to hear some of the music I've done for you, which would be nice. Um, and of course, uh, then alongside that, we've got um, you know the the very interesting news, which uh, during this month of November, and I'm hoping and encouraging anyone that knows uh, about this or has, has enjoyed what we've managed to produce on Live Radio, um, Escape Velocity is up for a set of audio awards, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it was quite out of the blue, actually. I just got an email. Um saying congratulations on your nomination and um it wasn't something that i knew about so thank you you know a huge thank you to whoever first nominated um escape velocity um for the two awards which was i'm not totally sure what the distinction is um but it's best ongoing fan adaptation and best production fan adaptation or something drama and drama and production are the two categories and then obviously once i kind of mentioned the um uh, the nominations. We then had another couple come in for uh, for your good self. A uh, couple of music categories. I'm up for five. I'm, yes. I'm actually. <laughs> I've got three tracks. I've got three tracks that are, are up for two different awards. Um, three tracks are up for one, which is the best compo- best original composition, and then best a new original composition. Which the original composition is basically if I've you know I wrote a piece for series one, and it was used in series two. So it's not original, as it were. Or rather, it is original, but it's not new. Yeah, yeah. See what I mean? Whereas the others were, you know, were new compositions for series two. So, so they're in there. Um, and then, of course, we've got um, Amy Timms is yeah. uh, is also been nominated for her part as May yeah. in uh, Escape Velocity Two, which uh, which is fantastic. So. I do encourage if you, as I say, if uh, if listeners out there have really enjoyed Escape Velocity, obviously we've we've done this, you know, over a long period of time, and we've, you know, essentially we've done, you know, huge amount of content during the period of development of this game, so that um, so that the fans, the the community has kind of had something to, you know, to sort of connect it together, as it were, whilst we waited uh, for a lot of this to go on, and of course now when we look at these newsletters, there's so much. You know, there is so much new information. There are so many new things happening. You know, it's it's great and it's 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 wonderful. But of course, you know, during this last nearly two years, we've had times when not a lot's been going on. And of course, then you you come back to the fan project. So, um, if anyone has really enjoyed Escape Velocity, please do go over to audioverseawards.net. Um, go have a look. Uh, you can vote. 
um, and uh, it is quite quite a complicated process to vote. Um, <laughs> they will ask you to vote for every category. So um, they will ask you to vote for your favourites in you know in things that that obviously the Escape Velocity and uh, and and other audio drama stuff isn't in. So I would suggest that um, you know maybe listen to a few more of the nominees and and make some judgments. Or if you know if you you're good at button mashing, then mash some buttons. <laughs> um, but no, I'd, I'd encourage you to listen because I you know I've been across and, and had listened, and there's some some really great stuff over there. Um, and yeah, and please you know please do vote, um, and hopefully we'll see you on the other side. Nominations are closed now, so um, we're waiting on on the voting results, which I think at the end of November. So uh, so it'll be really interesting. Yeah, and you can still vote on things up until uh, the 17th. I think 17th of November is when the voting public yeah that's right it's two rounds isn't it i yeah. think what happens is it's the open at the moment it's the long list and so you can vote up to the 17th and then after that it goes to the very short list and then it's you know it's, it's basically it's head to head as it were so you know please do go and vote um we'd love your support so uh so yeah and um anything else going on the forums colin yeah there was one uh particular post that has uh taking um i think a couple, it's been picked up by a couple of the news websites and somebody made a discovery that they that their father who passed away a couple of years ago they put their name in as their backer reward for an, an, an MPC and he was just describing the experience of discovering his father flying a ship when he was in the same area so um, that's been it's, it's been quite a, an emotional thread with a lot of people wishing that they'd done the same kind of thing. Yeah, no, I've I've seen that actually. It was um, uh, obviously it was was stated as as you said, and then um, it was picked up by Kontaku and picked up by PC Gamer, which uh, was really really nice to see a a really good positive game news story, um, you know, coming out uh, coming out of the forums and, and being picked up. Uh, just the idea of you know of putting a a relative or a loved one into into a game like this it does kind of immortalize them in a way it's it's almost like a legacy idea isn't it so it um you know i can see immediately why why people would be interested in doing that and certainly as as the authors we've also had you know players uh, and backers uh, come to us to put names into into books as well which uh, makes them all part of the elite universe so i guess that kind of you know ties it together with knowing about just how much information that has been published from the elite archives you can see just how rich a game universe we have and, and you know just how massive it is um whether there is pilots whether there is planets you know it's one of those things you can do to to sort of remember something and to to immortalize it and i think that's i think that's a wonderful thing yeah and it's interesting kind of culture wise because we're in we're in sort of a new territory now because we we've got to a number of years that we have kind of second generation gamers um because this i mean there's somebody else mentioned this in the thread but it this reminded me of another story that had done the rounds about a guy whose whose father had died when he was quite young and he resurrected his dad's old um xbox the, 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 yeah the xbox. yeah yeah and he found his dad's ghost data for for one of the racing games and he was able to kind of play the game and race against his dad's old recordings of playing that game and that's quite a i mean it's obviously a very touching thing a very moving thing but it's a it's a very new thing because actually having people now who are kind of grown up and mature gamers whose parents were also gamers 
that's kind of a new cultural area. Yeah, and you know, the memorial is obviously is a new thing in the virtual world, isn't it? Too, you know, it's it's quite quite different. I mean, we we obviously we know about a few famous occasions when uh, when things like that have gone wrong, but certainly with with Elite Dangerous as things are, I don't think uh, you know, it's 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 kind of it's an interesting thing, and it will you know we'll we'll see how things sort of pan out as uh, as they go on, but. You know, anything that means something to or moves somebody individually, you know, in that regard, I think is 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 great. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen one or two other sort of appreciative nods. You know, we know we've got we've got a space station uh, named after uh, Beagle 2, haven't we? And uh, and other bits and pieces. But, you know, I think it's it's nice to see those those individual personal moments where people have, have you know, made that kind of tribute. Yeah, I think also that um, as a legacy, you know, having yourself immortalized in a video game, to me, it's a bit more appealing than what my my uh, what my Facebook page will be once I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on those uh, on that regard as well, of course, um, we know that um, they've already been spotted. Um, Chris Jarvis and, uh, and Alan Stroud are out there somewhere. Um, yeah, I've seen both. Yeah, flying uh, flying a whole motley collection of craft. Interestingly, uh, whole... Alan had been demoted when I'd seen him. Um, <laughs> people have been reporting him as a dangerous, wanted individual. I found him as mostly harmless. And, um, you know, I was thinking of maybe just uh, trying to pirate him. But, um, I think alas, my... I felt guilty. I think my NPC is doing better than I am, technically. My NPC is definitely doing better than me because he's playing. <laughs> he's actually playing a ship, so you know, so he's, he's he's blatantly doing better than me. I hope they hard coded it so we just had beam lasers. <laughs> yeah, probably be it. Only flies one particular type of ship and only has beam lasers. Yeah, that'd be it. Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to everybody here. Thank you to Chris. Thank you. And Colin. Thank you. And John. Thank you. And thank you all. Take care, fly safe, and we'll talk soon. I was overseeing the delivery of some slaves to the starport in Exios, and a cleaning robot had just washed the floor, but not left a warning sign. I had to run after a slave that was escaping, and I slipped and fractured my wrist. I was delayed for 10 whole minutes while the Medicomp repaired the damage. My time is billable. Can I get compensation? Yes, you can. I was on a regular trading room back to Seoul, and it was my job to repaint the outside of the ship. I was given the wrong kind of EVA clamps. Nothing bad actually happened, but it did give me a fright. Can I get compensation? Yes, you can. I was checking some robots through customs when I distinctly heard an official call the robots clanks. I was deeply offended, even though I'm not a robot myself. That's their word. You're not allowed to use it. Can I claim for moral outrage? Yes, you can. At Cowell and McGrath, we are now taking any kind of legal action. No case too small, no justification too frivolous. If you've been lightly inconvenienced, embarrassed, or in any way put out, then someone should be made to give you money. Don't be a stupid clank. Uh, excuse me? Cowell and McGrath, taking on any case, playing the percentages... Okay, so we're back and we're going to go straight into Community Corner with some questions that we've got from social media. Our first question comes in from Eric Olin. Ben, why don't you take this one? 
So Eric Olin is asking, what do you guys do whilst you're supercruising 169,000 light seconds from the sun that you jump into to a remote station? So I'll go straight that over to you, Fosser. Well, not a lot, because at the moment I haven't found any system that big. John? I've found systems that big. I haven't been tempted to actually traverse the distance yet. That's not because I'm one of these people who can't be bothered, and there seems to be a fair few of them, but I think I'll wait until the final game, because obviously I I get the feeling that stations that far away are going to have something worth travelling to, and so I think in the full game it'll be worth it, but at the moment it's kind of, I don't know, I just don't see the point when I can just be out making money trying to get a federal dropship or something. Grant, have you done anything like this? Yeah, yeah, big long journeys. Um, yeah, absolutely. I tend to crank up the latest hits of Psycho Cow, uh, nice and loud, and put my feet up, and yeah, usually shoot right past the target. Have <laughs> to drive and go, plumb it again, again, and shout at the kids and try and buy a house. That's pretty much it. Okay, well, I've actually spent pretty much all of Sunday doing exactly this. I was flying to a station which was over, I think it was 487,000 light seconds away from where I jumped in. Basically, for doing that trip, I was netting about 200,000 credits. So that was kind of nice. And what I did, I pointed myself in the general direction of the station and watched about half an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> and I spent most of Sundays doing this, which was actually a very relaxing way to spend my time. Okay, John, didn't you say that there is a trick where rather than just going straight for it, you can actually angle your ship up for a little bit and then head towards it, and that makes you get to your top speed in your ship faster? Well, it certainly was in Beta 2. I, I, th- I think it must be a bug, really, because otherwise it's, it's a bit of a cheat. But if you start to accelerate away from the sun, your acceleration is quite slow until you get quite far out from it, and then you've got to wait until you get up to like 300 times the speed of light. But what I found was, if I just accelerated away from the sun, got a fair distance, usually up out of the plane of the system so there'd be no other masses near me, then I dropped out. If I went back into supercruise immediately, the acceleration was a hell of a lot faster, so I could get to that top speed a lot quicker. Whether that's the case in Beta 3 or not, I don't know because I haven't tried it. Okay, well, next question comes in from Charlie Danby. One is slightly unrelated. This one is asking, do we have any thoughts on No Man's Skies? No Man's Sky being another, well, I suppose you call it a space sim, but it's a procedurally generated space sim that also involves sections of going seamlessly from the space environment straight down onto the planet and getting out of your ship and walking around, which I suppose is ultimately what we're uh, thinking that Frontier are going to do with Elite Dangerous. John, what's your thoughts on this? I remember watching the demos of it. There was a couple of demo videos. I think it was, was it E3? Yeah. One of the expos anyway. And I like the aesthetic of it. It looks really nice. But I don't really think of it as a space sim. It, it looked a bit arcadey, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. It's just I prefer my space games to be more simmy than than arcadey. And I thought originally it was a, a PlayStation exclusive, although I've been informed reliably that it's not now, but no doubt it'll probably be out on the PlayStation first and then maybe the PC. So I don't have a PlayStation. If it does come out on the PC, I'll, I'll wait for the reviews and see how it is. I think it's got some interesting features, but as I said, again, it is a little bit arcadey from, from what I've seen anyway. I think it looks good. It could even be better than Elite. <laughs> yeah, you were dying to try that one out, weren't you? 
I think again, that the exploration hmm. aspect of No Man's Sky and the way that they're implementing that could be quite interesting. That you can, it looks like you can basically tag places and say, "I've explored this." Right, let's leave it there. Uh, next question comes in from Matthew Taylor. It says, what, if anything, in the latest version of Elite is spoiling your enjoyment of the game? Now, we touched on this in the introduction, but let's, uh, let's flesh it out a bit and go with Grant. Other players. Other players are spoiling your enjoyment of the game. Not being able to play with other players, not seeing any other players, or you're griefing from other players. Well, I, I, honestly, I have not had any problems with griefing at all, um, mostly because I don't seem to obviously play or, or get instance with many people. There's really little that I quite enjoy it. If anything, it's, it's a bit solitude you know, it's a little bit lonely when, you know, you can't group up with your friends and you're not landing in the same instances. It can be quite a bit lonely, and I think that's what probably would... Maybe not spoil my enjoyment because it's quite good to get your job, you know, get around, fly, do some stuff, see some amazing looking things, play your game your own way and enjoy it on your own. I think more than what's ruining my thing, what I'm missing, what could enhance my experience more would be that multiplayer, the link drives and things that I just, you know, we're all desperate for. We're all desperate for the co-op because we're kind of social people, really. Yeah, definitely, John. Yeah, I'm going to be boring and just basically agree with Grant there because, yeah, I don't think there's anything spoiling my enjoyment. As I said, you know, I got pretty thick skin, so I don't know what someone would have to do before I would think of them as a griefer, but there's none of that going on at all as far as I'm concerned. I don't know, maybe I've had a couple of blue screens, but, you know, that could be down to my setup on my PC for all I know, so I can't even blame Frontier for that, so I'll go with what Grant said. Yeah, and for me, it's mainly just the, the networking issue. I'm having a slightly more networking issue with Beta 3 than I have done on Beta 2. It seems things seem to be a little bit more stuttery, a little bit more juddery. Things seem to be taking longer to actually get in game if you go in the open section. But again, that just might be because I'm agoraphobic and I'm uh, I'm where the people are. Uh, maybe if I disappeared halfway down the hill, it wouldn't be as bad. So, but yeah, for me, it's just it's it's just a networking issue. Which again, you take that on board where, as it's a beta that that will be improved as we go through. Ben? I think it's going to be 3-4-4 four, four there because I'm exactly with Grant and John. I want to play with my friends when I want to play with them. <laughs> okay, I'm staying away from the innuendo on that one. Anyway, let's go straight to Gareth McGridge who says, Hi guys, just wondering if you think ship naming will come in now that we have multiple ship ownership. Well, I, I mean, I created the Lave Radio ship name generator ages ago and, and Ian Norman created a more comprehensive application for doing it. And so, yeah, I think people want to be able to name their ships. I think it was actually mentioned in a DDF topic that people would be able to do that. I think they even went into the detail that if you bought a second-hand ship, it would already be named. It was only if you bought brand new, you got to name it yourself. Is, is that just me? Was that in a DDF? No, or I, I do just remember. Am- I mean, it's been two years that we've been on this journey, so DDF yeah. seems sort of a bit hazy now. But yes, I certainly remember something along those lines. And they were going to introduce that sort of ship reputation as well, so that you know, if you went and picked up secondhand the Black Pearl, you would have that wonderful kind of reputation from the ship against you, either in a positive or a negative way. Negative, surely, because if you're driving around in, in the, the Black Pearl, people are just going to think... Mm. It's like being in an RPG, having a, a dwarf called Gimli, surely. <laughs> painting a target on your own bag but I think you know yeah I'm excited about it although I I can't make up my mind this is the same reason why I don't have any tattoos I change my mind 
on these kind of things every five minutes. I will never be happy with my ship name. And, you know, it gets to that point where if you can only name it when it's new, does that, you know, that's maybe what's holding it up is, you know, when you lose that ship, do you then get to rename the next one? Or can you call it the same name Mark II? You know, is there a way that you can, when you pay for your insurance, whether or not it has some indication of how many times that ship has been destroyed? Because these are kind of fun things if you're looking at a target and it's the floppy banana or it's the Asbo Sidewinder Mark 54. Well, you've got a good chance of taking it out. So I think, you know, there's lo- lots of room for fun with ship names other than lots of room for the abusive when you get taken out by the, the rusty clam <laughs> or something else that might just break your immersion and God knows we hate that. Okay, well, moving on to the next question. This one is from Dennis Howe, who says, Is it possible for you guys to give us some basic hints on how to maximize your trading profit? What notes should I be making? Well, I think, Ben, you're probably the master trader here. What can you tell him? There's not really a lot you can say, I think, apart from write down everything that you see. I've got a spreadsheet with about 15-odd pages in it now. I'm basically writing down the sell price of the commodity, the buy price, the galactic average... And then I've got calculations on how much my galactic average profit should be. And then I've added in other columns for different trading outposts that I've gone off and sold it at. And using that, I can then go off and see, well, if I sell performance enhancers from Houtman Gateway to Lavoisier Outpost, I'm making 1,161 credits per ton profit. But that's just hard work and writing everything down. I mean, surely there's got to be a better way of doing that, because the whole thing about this is that EVE Online was always criticised about being spaceships and spreadsheets. Elite Danger shouldn't be that sort of game. So, I mean, there's got to be, do you think, a way that a frontier can implement yeah, some sort of mechanism which it makes it easier to do all of this thing without having to actually physically go into Excel and write it all down? I think there is, but they've gone off and basically killed all those tools with their recent decree that you shall not scrape the memory of the game. Yeah, I suppose, but they were also talking, weren't they, about bringing out an Elite Dangerous app in the not-too-distant future, so could it be that this is something that you can get through the app, maybe? Maybe. We get a basic hint using the current system map. So, for example, when I was in Houtman Gateway, I saw that the average profit I was making on performance enhancers was 704. I then jumped into the galaxy map and had a look at nearby trade routes for performance enhancers, and I could see that there was something going off to Lavoisier Outpost. So that's using their tool just to find that route. But I had no idea whether or not I'd actually make any good money from it or anything like that. I could just see... I could see that things were going from one to the other. Interesting. Okay, well, we can go back to that uh, idea of an app that will capture this information for you. Frontier is obviously a company. It's got shareholders. We've seen them putting out stuff on the store for gamers to buy. I wouldn't put it past them to do a chargeable app that has this sort of information in as a companion to the game. What would people be prepared to pay for it? Now, I know there's a couple of us on the cast tonight that may have spent a certain amount of money on a Chrome decal for our Vipers. So that was £10. What would people be prepared to pay for a companion app to go along the game that would help with things like trading and route mapping and that sort of stuff? John? 
Three quid. Three quid. Okay. Now, as you're one of these people that bought the £10 chrome skin, the same as me, why would you be prepared to pay £3 for something that's far more useful <laughs> to you in-game than a £10 chrome skin? I don't know. I mean, it's, the, it's the number that came to my mind first because when I'm looking at apps on you know, the store and I'm just browsing, looking for something to play maybe, that's the kind of like mental barrier I have. Uh, I suppose if I'd seen the app in use and it was really genuinely awesome, then obviously I would stretch to more. But for me, three quid is like a kind of impulse buy. Yeah. So for me, if I, if it was three quid, I'd buy it even if it was a pile of crap, to be honest, because <laughs> because it's it's for elite okay. and it's. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm tickled here because three quid for you is an impulse buy and yet you spent £10 on a chrome paint job for your ship. How is that not... That wasn't... That you, you thought about that long and hard, did you? Yeah, that's not an impulse buy. It was mandatory. <laughs> After I saw it, I suddenly realised that it would not be possible to fly a Viper without that paint job. <laughs> it wouldn't be as fast. It wouldn't shoot as well. So I just had to have it. Oh, whatever. Grant... Yeah, I'm just thinking, if that's an impulse buy, you know, I'd love to know what kind of level is the chat with your wife buy level. Is that like, what, £4.50? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, because it would probably mean that the boy would go to school without dinner for a couple of days, so... <laughs> oh, be- before you ask, John, in my head was two ninety nine because that's kind of the sort of acceptable level if you're charging more than that that's not an add-on app that's a program in its own right and you know you'd be expecting more than you're going to get from it for anything more than that so if they go above the 299 then they're maybe stretching the market a little bit thin in my opinion no matter because you know ideally you want these apps to hook into your game so that they're specific to you and i just don't think that that's going to be what it's going to do it's just going to be a kind of iPhone wiki to be fair though it it never ceases to amaze me how many people bought that Cobra skin at the Vector one but when I first saw the price of 10 quid I was like are a lot of people going to buy that I mean I I know a lot of people liked it when we we flashed it up on the screen at LaveCon because it was in one of the newsletters but I thought I thought 10 quid that's just that's just so expensive I mean you know only the diehard fans are going to buy it lo and behold I think nearly everybody I spoke to bought it I mean how many of you guys went got it me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I didn't get it because I didn't personally think it was worth ten quid, even though it was limited edition. Maybe I just didn't like it enough. But as soon as I saw the Viper one, I was like, ten quid. I'd have paid for 20 for that. <laughs> yeah, don't start. Otherwise, you're just going to give Frontier ideas, and I don't think anybody really wants to see a 20 pound skin put on there. At 10 quid a pop, I'm, I'm sure the people at the Frontier are thinking, why did we doubt skins could be a way for funding this game going forward? Okay, and on to the final question. And actually, it's a question that comes in from two people. One, Steph Wyeth and Andrew Crabe, basically asking, so we're into the final beta. There's no beta 4. We're going straight into Gamma. In theory, the game's now feature complete, in theory. What do we think still needs to appear in Gamma? And do you think we'll see these in the release, or do you reckon that there's still some stuff to go into the final featured release? Well, I mean, suppose you guys have already been talking about it this evening, and that's the idea of fleeting, being able to join up with your friends, link your hyperdrives together, link your frameshift drives together, and all jump at the same time. So is that the key feature that's currently missing? Yes, I'd say so, yeah. In fact, I'd go one stage further and say I'm genuinely surprised it hasn't been included sooner. With every 
alpha build, the first alpha build that had multiplayer, I was thinking, well, if the grouping's not in this one, it's surely going to be in the next one, because I, I really did think it was such a major feature, because it affects the balance of the game, because players being able to work consistently together, I think, turns the game up on its head, really, I think, in terms of balance. And why do you reckon we haven't seen it yet? Do you think it's purely just because networking is still a bit of a bugbear and it needs to be ironed out before they can start thinking about adding more layers on top of it in terms of joining people together? Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's the networking issue. First of all, you need to be able to meet your friends if you're going to be in an alliance with them. And up until Beta 3, I'd have said that it was just nowhere near consistent enough. You said that it seems to be worse for you this time mm. round, whereas it, for me, if I want to meet up with someone, it's almost like a 100% certainty I will bump into them. We will meet at the agreed place. So that's obviously going to be a major consideration but then again I guess if you're going to implement grouping you've got to make sure that all of the multiplayer aspects of the game are in place first like the interdictions and things like that because until they're in place how can you code a multiplayer experience of those things anybody else? I think the feature that I'm most looking forward to coming in the game would be deep storylines and we haven't really seen anything to do with that yeah, absolutely. There hasn't been much in terms of a sort of a narrative going through. We know it's not going to be a sort of an overarching narrative throughout the whole game, but it would be quite nice to see a few sort of mission chains linked around a certain storyline for each faction and stuff that we're coming across. And again, I think that's going to be a nice to have. It's going to be probably one of the things they add as sort of icing on the cake as opposed to the, the nuts and bolts section that we're currently in now, like networking code and getting all the fleets to work together and all of that jazz. So I think it will come. I just don't think we're going to see it in Gamma. I think that's probably going to be a final release thing. Well, I, I seem to remember Sandy Smarco talking about what they were working on with missions and, and NPC contacts. And I think at the time he said that it was really cool, uh, but at the same time it was really complex. Mm. So I'm thinking that they have got something up their sleeve. We just haven't seen it because, you know, they're still working on perfecting it. John, didn't you say that you're going to have a look through the DDF and have a look at the stuff that we had on the drawing board and compare it to the stuff that's actually uh, arrived in Beta 3? Yeah, now I've got a bit more time on my hands. What I wanted to do was basically go through all the DDF proposals that Frontier have put out and kind of compare those original proposals to what we actually have now in beta. And it's not an exercise in me saying, oh, they've promised this, but they haven't delivered it yet or anything like that. It's more just a case of kind of judging the evolution of the game because what we have now has been kind of steered by the players in particular the DDF members but I guess since a lot more people have come on board maybe Frontier have decided that maybe we shouldn't implement it this way because it, it won't work so well I mean I think the interdiction mechanic itself is a relatively new idea there wasn't a lot of information in the DDF about how that mechanic actually worked. So I think that there's had to be a kind of a dynamic development process where they've implemented something really cool, they realize it works fantastic, but at the same time that's going to have a knock-on effect on, on maybe some of the stuff that they might have suggested in the past. So I just want to have a look at what they, they said that they wanted to do and have a think about whether it's worth doing anymore or whether it would conflict with something that we have got at the moment and that we're enjoying and, and that kind of thing, really. Great stuff. 
Okay, so that's it for the Community Corner questions. A couple of quick shout-outs. First of all, the Astrogator Tour Competition with prizes donated by Frontier. We've got some limited edition Elite Dangerous 30 anniversary shirts to give away. Uh, we've got some key rings, some pens, some mugs, all sorts of stuff. Remember, you need to go out, take some screenshots of some interesting uh, locales within Beta 3 and write a travel size, so a 100-word little bit of marketing blurb to go into the Astrogator Tour brochure. And you can send those to us at info at layradio.com on Facebook, or you can send them across to elitegalaxies.net. And you can go to elitegalaxies.net and see a showcase of the ones that we've got in so far. Also, just a quick shout to the Radio Theatre Workshop, obviously the creators, Chris Jarvis of Escape Velocity, who have received five nominations in the Audioverse Awards. It's a bit of a ball ache, but if you wouldn't mind going to vote for him, you can find those at audioverseawards.net. Finally, a shout-out for Ian Honcharenko. Ian sent us in a screenshot where he saw the evil Chris Jarvis, the NPC character, having a spot of bother with the port traffic control. Go to our Facebook page to check that out. Oh, and finally, I should also mention that Elite Archives has also made it over the line for their Kickstarter. So if you haven't had a chance to go and check out their Kickstarter page, they've got over the line. They've got their 30,000 Australian dollars and the Elite Archives is going to become a reality. So that's another Elite Kickstarter over the line, which is fantastic. Okay, well, that's it for another episode of Lay Radio. Thank you to John, Ben, and Grant. Thanks also to Alan and Colin. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can by emailing info at laveradio.com, on Facebook forward slash laveradio, at laveradio on Twitter, Fozzo 101 on Skype for the Elite Dangerous chat channel, and for TeamSpeak, it's laveradio.teamspeak3.com. If you come across any of the crew's evil NPC twins in games, then send us a screenshot, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. And likewise, if you drop us a review in iTunes. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and until next time, fly safe. Is your life like this? Someone's been orange inserted. Need a safe word. Space getting I'm gonna see the galaxy. You could take all of those you knows once you've cut them out and just create a blooper <laughs> of us going. <laughs>
you know, 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 you you know being certainly with your show colin you're the john peel of uh, of elite dangerous <laughs> which um i think is you know john uh, peel. Yeah. oh no yeah, yeah. i, I you hope know, you mean in the dj sense <laughs> and not in his so his, his um, reputation that has been discovered recently oh uh, yeah I, I do mean in the, in the dj sense um absolutely I, has john peel been been oh yeah so I've done over for oh god dear no, the, the, yeah. I think that, not, that not, was not, not hit the cutting room floor to be honest 